Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, good morning and welcome to the program. Welcome to a brand new week. In fact, welcome to a brand new month. It is a Monday and it is March the 1st. Great to have your company. Give me a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number. If you would like to have your say this morning, there's plenty of news around. And unfortunately, none of it really is good. While there's some good news stories, uh, we've had a, a number of missing people found over the weekend. As I thumb through all the news headlines this morning, that's about the best of it, unfortunately. In Canberra, it just gets murkier and murkier. And now we learn that, well, as I've always said, it's on both sides, both in the Liberal National Party, and now we're learning on the Labor side. And I've mentioned that something needs to be done about the culture in Canberra. The deep-seated misogyny and the deep-seated sexism and unfortunately there's an issue with women. There really is an issue with women. I don't know whether it's blokes in power or whatever it is. I'm not quite sure. But the Canberra rape scandal has deepened. Senator Sarah Henderson has forwarded allegations of another case to the Australian Federal Police. Now, Sarah Henderson is a Victorian And she's called on the AFP over an email claiming a woman was raped by a politician who is now a federal Labor MP. So the ALP has now been drawn into fresh scrutiny over the treatment of women in politics after Senator Sarah Henderson revealed she has referred a complaint to police from a woman who alleges she was raped by a man who is now a Labor MP. Sarah Henderson yesterday issued a statement saying she'd forwarded to police the email from a woman alleging she'd been raped by a man who is a federal Labor member of parliament. It's understood the claims relate to historical charges which Victorian police declined to pursue some years ago. Now, Sky News reported a similar letter had been sent to Labor frontbencher Tanya Plibersek. Uh, Now, Ms Plibersek, her reply was read in part on Sky News and, again, she urged the complainants to go ahead to uh, report to the police. All right, it all comes as the ABC's Four Corners program was slammed for its treatment of the case of a deceased woman who claimed she was raped by a man who is now a serving member of the Morrison government. Uh, Dana Marnie, the late woman's best friend, revealed her disgust at the way the case had been handled by the national broadcaster. As someone who knew the woman wanted for her story to be told one day, as we discussed it often, coverage that dehumanises her and reduces her death to death and details to, of the crime was not it, blah, blah, blah. It goes on. It goes on. I don't know. I'm kind of getting a little bit sick and tired of this now. I know that it's, I don't know, it's like there are no names, a lot of this stuff is historical, and I think the whole swap needs to be drained. I'm not saying I don't believe it, I I believe it, I really do believe it, but 
You know, well, we've got somebody from the Prime Minister down, still over the weekend, standing firm with a, what I consider to be a lie, and that is that he only knew about, you know, so-called allegations, you know, when he read the newspaper. I'm just, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of sick to death and disgusted by the whole lot of them, to be honest. It's really starting to annoy me. And, you know, while I, I know how important it is for women to come forward, and they should, everybody should report this kind of abhorrent behaviour, but I'm, I'm getting a little bit sick and tired of reading about it through politicians. Why haven't the police been involved? You know, why, why are politicians receiving letters and all the rest of it rather than police being called? Politicians don't investigate allegations of sexual assault. Police do. And of course, if, you know, and, and not that I don't, of course, I understand how difficult it is. Well... I think I do. I mean, I'm a, I'm a man and I haven't been involved in any incident like this. But what I'm saying is I understand how difficult it must be for women in that kind of work situation or scenario in order to feel that they can comfortably go forward and make an allegation and report it to the appropriate authorities. And, and that's why I would have thought that You'd do it outside the Canberra bubble. That is, you'd, you wouldn't report it first and foremost to those within Canberra because, be, to be perfectly honest with you, none of them can be trusted with it. I mean, if I have had a young daughter who was allegedly molested or even worse inside the halls of Parliament, first thing I would do is I'd run her down to... ACT police somewhere outside of the Canberra bubble, somewhere off Capitol Hill, because we're learning, sadly, day in, day out now, that none of them, absolutely none of them, can be trusted to do the bloody right thing. It all reeks of cover-up and politics ahead of crime. And I don't think, and I think Australia is worse for it. I really do. Anyway, we'll go into more detail about that for you a little later this morning, but the latest is the Canberra rape scandal is deepening and it now includes an allegation of a current Labor MP. So we've got allegedly, we've got a minister inside the Morrison government who's alleged to have raped somebody and we've also got somebody within Anthony Albanese's mob who allegedly raped somebody. Isn't it wonderful? Just wonderful stuff. Alrighty, 13 12 69, the telephone number if you would like to have you say. Kids are being rewarded with trips to the pool and canteen treats simply for showing up to school as principals attempt to meet state attendance targets. I'll talk about that this morning. Meanwhile, a new study says the Australian public believe those who are getting job seeker should only be spending money on the necessities. You know, your food, your rents. Forget things like cigarettes, alcohol, gym, Netflix. I'll go into detail about that study. Meanwhile, what about Melissa Caddick? 
this mystery seems to deepen as each day passes. The location of the grisly find has police looking whether fraudster Melissa Caddick was alive for some time after she vanished from her Dover Heights mansion. Uh, We know that a shoe was found on Friday and we brought you that news as it broke. But over the weekend there's been some more, it's kind of grisly to say, but sadly some more body parts found and they're doing a forensic analysis of the remains to see if they do belong to Melissa Kadich. I mean, it's just awful. It really is. Awful on so many levels. I mean, she has... I think she has at least one child, son, probably mostly innocent... Well, I would say innocent of all of the allegations made against this woman. I mean, people... There are... I mean, she is a person. And I do feel, of course, also for, for those who have lost money... Anyway, there's more on that. We'll give you the detail. Uh, Meantime, I see our Health Minister, Greg Hunts, went on the warpath over the weekend against anti-vaxxers after the arrival of some 300,000 doses of AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine arrived. (laughs) It's like you get a a complete coverage of a couple of boxes coming from the underbelly of an aircraft. Here we go. I'm talking about it. It's popped up on the screen as I speak. The vaccine boost, and here we go. Uh, There it is on the conveyor belt. So the doses have arrived, but um, Greg Hunt, he wasn't very happy. Anti-vaxxers have been slammed for spreading ludicrous theories about Australia's vaccine rollout on the same day a shipment of 300,000 AstraZeneca doses landed in Sydney. The Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt said some of these anti-vaxxers are peddling false and clearly irresponsible views, whether it's about 5G and Bill Gates and mind control. Ludicrous, ludicrous things. Well, I I tend to agree with him. I tend to agree with him. Anyway, the New South Wales Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, said over the weekend that she'd been extremely pleased with how the initial vaccine rollout was progressing, but would appreciate as much information as time as in as timely way as possible from the federal government about the rollout as it continues. Meanwhile, many visiting or homegrown celebrities and VIPs that skipped hotel quarantine for a venue of their choosing amassed a $1.6 million bill for personalised security. In other words, you know, for for police, New South Wales police and the others uh, looking after them. So... Most of them have paid for it, including Nicole Kidman and her husband's and I think, uh, what's his face? Matt Damon's paid for his and others, but there's still an outstanding bill, apparently, we're told. Alrighty, 13, 12, 69, if you'd like to have you say, Marcus, Paul in the morning. All right, 21 minutes after five, Australians are being encouraged to offer a new home to lost and abandoned animals as National Pet Adoption Month gets underway today, Monday, March the 1st. Yeah, look, I would always suggest if you are looking for a new pet, a fur baby for your home, uh, there's nothing better, I don't think, no better feeling than rehoming a pet. So get one from your local pound or go to the RSPCA for my listeners in Sydney. All you need to do is go out there near Badgerys Creek Airport, the new airport that's being built. Just on Elizabeth Drive, 
Um, there's plenty of beautiful animals there you can choose from. It's estimated more than 100,000 pets end up in animal shelters throughout our country each year, with many facing a bleak future without finding a new home. Now, Jessica Curtis from Pet Stock Assist is encourage family is encouraging families thinking of getting a new pet to open their mind and adopt difference. Yeah, well, there's nothing. I don't think it's there's nothing better than adopting a pet, to be honest, and saving it. A rescue pet, a rescue animal. That's what they call them, don't they, Scruff? A rescue animal. Alrighty, give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. Marcus Paul in the morning. It's great to have your company. It's a brand new month. Yes, it is a brand new month. Our telephone number thirteen twelve sixty-nine. Emails MP in the morning at two SM supernetwork.com. And if you want to send us a text this morning to the program, 0458-049-209, we have all the news. We just need your views, so be part of it, please. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. Final report into the Royal Commission into the aged care sector will show us that we need to listen, really bloody listen, to older people and their families. For too long, the government has ignored the views of older people. Oh, absolutely. We're saying that government needs to take a bit of time to digest it. Uh, but, yes, you're absolutely right oh, that older Australians get a big say in what kind of aged care system uh, the government's prepared to uh, create. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. I do have a breaking news story here. The body of missing businesswoman Melissa Caddick has been found on the New South Wales south coast more than three months after she disappeared from her home in Sydney's eastern suburbs. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, good morning. Here we are on a Monday. It's great to have your company. 13 12 69 is our telephone number. All the news and your views. If you want to send me an email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. I see nurses from Cairns to Brisbane are holding rallies outside their local politicians' offices to highlight the shocking condition of private aged care in Australia. Prime Minister Scott Morrison received the Royal Commission into Aged Care and Safety's final report on Friday. I'm hoping that uh, we'll get some public uh, documentation from the report, the Commission's final recommendations today. Queensland Nurses and Midwives Union Secretary Beth Mole says nurses are sending a message to all politicians. Well, you can expect more and more of this as details are uncovered from the findings into, well, the shocking state of aged care in our country. With the Royal Commission's final report handed to the Prime Minister, we can only hope that we get some details publicly very soon. Look, a new study says the Australian public believe those who are getting job seeker should only be spending the money on necessities. Well, <laughs> to be honest, the money is so poor... They have no choice but to spend it on the necessities. Mobile phone bills, car, rego and home internet are in. Netflix, Siggies and restaurant meals are out. That's the verdict of Australian voters polled by the Menzies Research Centre 
in its quote-unquote attitudes to job seekers survey, who think that government money should only be used for necessities and tools that might help the unemployed find a job. According to the poll, voters also believe that dole payments should be kept at a level where basics are affordable, but frills such as dining out or getting takeaway, buying booze and premium label supermarket food are off the table. Televisions, laptops, mortgages and childcare also all pass muster with voters, while an annual holiday, elective medical procedures and movie tickets were all given the thumbs down. So in this Attitudes to Job Seekers survey, what people on Job Seeker should be able to afford? Well, home brand food, mobile phone, car running costs, clothes for a job interview, what they shouldn't, cigarettes, alcohol, gym, Netflix. The figures also found that voters believe government payments should be closely linked to recipients' willingness to work. Almost 84% of respondents agreed that the amount of job seeker payment a person receives should be dependent on their ability and their willingness to work, while nearly 80% agreed that work for the dole measures should be more strictly enforced. Now, apparently around two-thirds of voters said that relocation grants should be available to those on the dole to help them move to areas where they might have better luck finding a job. I agree with that. There needs to be far more... If we want to get people out of the cities into regional areas, we need to provide an incentive. It's a long way to go on a maybe. But there was a strong partisan split in the results. While only around 30% of self-identified Liberal voters agreed that welfare payments in general were too low... Nearly 50% of Labor voters and nearly 53% of Greens said they were not generous enough. Well, no surprise there really, is there? Absolutely no surprise. I mean, in general, those who support the Conservative politicians, the LNP in our country, tend to be those who are probably a little more well-off. The figures, of course, come in the wake of the Morrison government's move to raise JobSeeker by $50 a fortnight, while increasing the number of jobs those receiving the payments will have to apply from 8 to 15 per month. Well, that's fine, so long as there are plenty of jobs out there. Problem is, there's not. There are simply not enough jobs available for the amount of people who are looking for work. A lot of them, I have to say, through no fault of their own because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The government is also implementing a hotline for bosses, and this is where it gets a little nasty in my opinion. The government's also implementing a hotline for bosses to dob in those who turn down work for which they are qualified. Now, I understand the the concept of this, but what it does for me is it, it it can, unfortunately, lead to, well discrimination. It can also lead to, well, exploitation of workers. Nick Cater, the executive director of the Menzies Research Centre, said the numbers show that people 
have got a more realistic attitude to unemployment benefit levels than some of the advocates from the social services industry. Australians want to support people who are down on their luck, but not give them an incentive to take up welfare as a career. Well, yes, I get that. They are very supportive of any benefit that will help people get a job, professional clothing, a mobile phone, but what they don't want is to pay for luxuries. Well... Eating takeaway, eating at restaurants, subscribing to Netflix, going to the gym. Are these all necessities? Well, probably not. Probably not. Although, takeaway food, uh, depending on what people get, I guess could be concern, uh, could be construed as necessities because quite often takeaway food is on the cheap side. Uh, if you have to feed a family... You know, quite often you get takeaway chook or something like that. That's, you know, that's a given. Anyway, if you want to have your say on that, give me a call. That's the latest from the Menzies Institute, a new study. Says Australian public, says the Australian public believe those who are getting job seeker should only be spending the money on necessities. Well, what do you make of it? 13 12 69, the telephone number. All right, Kathleen is there on the open line. Morning, Kathleen. How are you? Oh, I'm not too good. Uh, uh, after yesterday, my daughter came down for Queen, from Queensland to take me out to lunch. Right. And anyway, the day before, she ordered a wheelchair taxi for me because mm. I have panic attacks and I can't get in the car. And anyway, they said, no problem. Right. They didn't even turn up. They said, we'll be there in eight minutes. We waited for an hour. They didn't even turn up. That's how these... Ta- I can name the taxi company. Well, hang on. Whereabouts you. are you from? A big guys. Where are you calling from? Pennant Hills. Okay, so in Sydney, uh, you'd expect that you'd get pretty good service. Uh, yes, and I just wanted to go to Cherry Brook to the club hmm. there for lunch. Yeah. And they said, no problem. They said, we'll be there in eight minutes. So they didn't even turn up. That's how Premier Cabs treat you. When uh, when they didn't turn up, did you try and call them again? Uh, for instance, oh, did you she, did you she, ring back? I and... lost count of how many times she rang up. They said, yes, we'll be there in eight minutes. Hmm. I never turned up at all. And it's Premier Cabs, but is it? Therefore, I couldn't go out because no. I can't get in. She's got a car, but she, I can't get in the car because I've got that fear of falling. Yeah. All right. Well, look, I don't, uh, I don't know. Premier Premier Cabs, is it? Is that is that the name of the company? Premier Cabs. Yes. All yes. right. Well, I'm sorry that that's happened. Uh, we do need to be looking after people like yourself a lot better. So was it for a disabled cab, for instance? Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, uh, a wheelchair taxi. A wheelchair. So you're yeah, already... I'm, on a, I'm on those, uh, uh, a small scooter, and you just drive up an, on a ramp. I wonder how many of those cabs are available in Sydney. Um, yes, I've used them before. You have? Maybe they were yeah. busy, but still, they shouldn't tell you they're going to be there in eight minutes and then not yeah. turn up at all. All right. No, well, Kathleen, it was so upsetting. I'm sure it was. I'm very sorry yeah. that that happened. Yeah, and I just thought I'd warn other people who want to go out, you know, and they don't turn up. 
Well, I don't know what... Well, I'm, I'm, I'll open the lines up, of course. Anybody can ring. Thank you, Kathleen. And I'm sorry that happened to you over the weekend. 13 12 69. Look, Kathleen, uh, maybe somebody else has suffered the same fate you did. Uh, it's not nice. I, I, I can imagine how frustrating it, it would be. Um, takes a bit of planning for somebody like you on a, a wheelchair or one of those... Uh, mobility scooters to actually uh, make the arrangements, book somewhere, and then, um, you know, unfortunately, some eight minutes later, uh, after you're expecting them to turn up, nothing, and then an hour later, nothing. Yeah, it'd be very frustrating. Have you got a similar story to Kathleen's? And how good are Premier cabs normally? 13 12 69, the telephone number. Marcus Paul in the morning. Alrighty, um, if you want to have your say, we'd love to hear from you. Yep, Olivia, thank you, I got that. Uh, I was under the impression that broadcasters don't allow listeners to talk about other broadcasters whilst on air. Very disappointed to hear Lawsy allowing a regular to discuss you on air last Friday. I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it. Caller was allowed to go on and on about yourself without any intervention. Ah, I don't know. Um, Olivia says he sounded like he belonged to the... Oh, OK. Asking for another broadcaster to be returned. It was probably him. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. if you would like to have you say, Marcus, Paul, in the morning. Yeah, I don't, I don't really get involved in any of that, Ollie. We just do our thing here at our program as we continue to grow and... And reach more and more people each and every month. Um, one point, or nearly 1.2 million people in the last 28 days have interacted with us on social media and online. We get plenty of messages. We get plenty of support on this program. So uh, what others do, um, we don't really care, Ollie. We'll just continue doing what we're doing. Uh, look, if you want to give me a call about this, I'd love to hear from you. Greg Hunt yesterday went on the attack, slamming anti-vaxxers for their theories on Bill Gates, 5G and all those other tinfoil hat things that, I don't know, people get in dark corners and discuss together. Anti-vaxxers have been slammed for spreading ludicrous theories about Australia's vaccine rollout on the same day a shipment of some 300,000 AstraZeneca doses landed in Sydney. Greg Hunt said some of these anti-vaxxers are peddling false and clearly irresponsible views, whether it's about 5G and Bill Gates and mind control. (laughs) Mr Hunt said there had been no sign so far that anti-vaxxers were planning major protests at vaccination centres. Well, they shouldn't. Uh, It's a bit like the old abortion centres. You know, I used to report on awful stories, particularly in Canberra. We eventually had one of them, one of these uh, centres protected by security guards because anti-abortionists would turn up and yell abuse and make those who were uh, going to have any procedure done make them feel inhuman. Anyway, uh, the Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, has put anti-vaxxers on notice I mean, so far there have been no major protests. Anyway, we hit another milestone in the fight against COVID-19. Just grab that call there, Scruff. We hit another milestone in the fight against COVID-19 with the first consignment of AstraZeneca vaccine landing in Sydney yesterday. A shipment of 300,000 doses of the vaccine, a collaboration between Oxford University and the pharmaceutical giant, 
are now set to be batch tested by the Therapeutic Goods Administration to ensure they meet quality guidelines. I'm sure they will. The first doses will be given to priority groups in Phase 1A of the rollout. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, said if the vaccines cleared the TGA process, the testing process, Australians would start getting it from, well, within a week, by next Monday, March the 8th. So we'll now be able to, if you like, scale up the vaccination rollout to our priority groups, including our most vulnerable Australians and to our frontline border and health workers, according to the Prime Minister. He said Australia is in a unique position because, importantly, this vaccine gives us the ability to manufacture onshore. Now, every Australian who wishes to be vaccinated will be able to receive a vaccine this year. We've secured 53.8 million doses of the vaccines and 50 million of those will be manufactured locally by CSL. Now, the health minister said Australians would have the opportunity to get their jab through their local GP, respiratory centres and eventually also through pharmacies. Well, give me a call. Will you be getting the jab? Uh, And if not, why? Uh, And what do you make of uh, announcements over the weekend? Well, there was certainly some movement toward the return of international air travel. Though, again, I (laughs) I would hasten to add... No jab, no fly, certainly if you want to fly on Qantas. Alrighty, 13, 12, 69. We had a man missing from Tamworth over the weekend. He was found safe and well, which is good news. A woman missing from Tweed Heads. She was also found safe and well, which is wonderful. Really good news. But unfortunately, not so good news with a man and a woman injured when their motorcycle collided with a car on Picton Road at Wilton. Now, a 47-year-old woman was thrown from the motorcycle, sustaining serious head and chest injuries. My understanding is that she sadly passed. Awful, awful story. Uh, This happens just uh, before 1 o'clock, and it closed... Picton Road for quite some time. This is at Wilton, down there near the Hume Highway. And I'm just having a look at some pictures that have been sent to the show via the wonderful people at Careflight. I mean, I know they would have done everything they absolutely could have to ensure that there were no deaths from this, but we understand that, sadly. Uh, The female who was thrown from the motorbike... Um, succumb to her injuries in hospital, which is not good news. Okay, off to the newsroom in just a moment. When we come back after six o'clock, I see kids are being rewarded with trips to the pool and canteen treats simply for showing up to school. Why? Well, principals are desperate to meet state attendance targets. That's not good. Principals are enticing students to show up to school with treats from the canteen and trips to the local pool in a bid to lift attendance rates. But education experts say schools should concentrate on engaging children with quality teacher-student relationships and lively lessons. Yeah, well, I'll go through more of this, and maybe if you're a teacher, uh, a parent, 
You might want to give us a call and have your say on this 13 12 69, the telephone number. Emails, MP in the morning at 2SM, supernetwork.com. And if you want to send a text, 0458-049-209. Morning. Final report into the Royal Commission into the aged care sector will show us that we need to listen, really bloody listen, to older people and their families. For too long, the government has ignored the views of older people. Oh, absolutely. We're saying that government needs to take a bit of time to digest it. Uh, but yes, you're absolutely right oh, that older Australians get a big say in what kind of aged care system uh, the government's prepared to uh, create. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. I do have a breaking news story here. The body of missing businesswoman Melissa Caddick has been found on the New South Wales South Coast more than three months after she disappeared from her home in Sydney's eastern suburbs. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Okay, welcome back to the program. It's Monday, first day of a brand new month. It is March the 1st. And I see former President Donald Trump is back. Well, he's set to make some sort of speech. The first since leaving office. Does anybody really care? I don't. Do you? 131269, the telephone number. Uh, good morning to our listeners up there on the mid-north coast. On FM 93.5 and Radio 531, Port Macquarie. Thank you uh, to our sponsor up there, 40 Winks, Port Macquarie, for uh, taking the program this morning. Also, good morning to 2HC, 6.39am, Coffs Harbour, our listeners up there. Uh, And we're in the Central West, of course, via 2EL Orange, our listeners in Bathurst, and Orange, what's your weather like today? Uh, for the central tablelands, 27 degrees, maybe a shower in the north. Later today, but otherwise, pretty fine. Not bad. Maybe a bit of fog too around the ranges early this morning. For the mid-north coast, today partly cloudy, medium chance of showers in the north, a slight chance elsewhere, the chance of a thunderstorm tonight, tops of 29 degrees. But in Sydney, boy, oh boy, very warm to hot today. Uh, The cloud will clear. Um, They say maybe a bit of fog out in the west, but that'll burn off pretty quickly. No wonder, because we're expecting tops of around 33 degrees in the city and even hotter out west. Um, But there will be a change later in the day. There'll be a cool, gusty, southerly change coming through. Uh, The wind's getting up to around 50 k's an hour in the late evening, we're told with that cooling southerly change on the way for Sydney. Our story today in the papers is that our children at school are being rewarded with trips to the pool and canteen treats. Why? Well, simply for showing up. Principals are attempting to meet state attendance targets But education experts say schools should concentrate perhaps on engaging our kids with quality teacher-student relationships and lively lessons. The practice of rewarding kids simply for turning up comes after Education Minister Sarah Mitchell sets attendance targets for 180 principals across the state. Rather than perhaps the Education Minister 
put pressure on principals, maybe a campaign, uh, an education campaign for parents, <laughs> perhaps suggesting to them that, you know, it's illegal not to send your kids to school. Boy, oh boy. I mean, where is the, why are we putting the onus on teachers for attendance? Teachers teach. Parents should be making sure their kids bloody will go to school. On the Central Coast, Tacoma Public School Principal Nicole Hazelwood said students who achieved perfect attendance would receive an award plus a treat from the canteen. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Students are aiming to be at school on time every day. If they can achieve this, they receive a Green Week award. On Friday, students from a chosen class will additionally receive a treat from the canteen. What kind of message is this sending? I mean, it's ridiculous. What kind of message is this sending? I mean, if I turn up to work every day, I get paid, but I don't get a treat. Well, occasionally, Justin might buy me a drink from downstairs if I'm lucky. Anyway, I just think the owner should be on the parents, don't you? I really do. It's a similar story at Tabulum Public School in northern New South Wales where Principal Sean Pickley said students who turned up to school most days would be rewarded with trips to the local pool and barber. Starting today, children will be monitoring their own attendance at school for our awards days that will be occurring this term. Children who have over 92% attendance will be included in the rewards. The rewards will include a pool visit with the floating slide and obstacle course and blah, 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 blah. It's, I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> and what about students at other schools in the state that are hearing this this morning, whether on this program or elsewhere, and they're saying to their parents, well, hang on, Mum, I go to school every day, where's my treat? Why are we rewarding children for doing what they have to do and go to school? I don't get it. Am I missing something here? Have we got to that point where we need to reward kids for going to school? I think that's silly, don't you? And the onus again, and you know, the education minister, Sarah Mitchell, setting attendance targets for school principals, like it's the school principal's responsibility for ensuring that kids get to school. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's the responsibility of the kids, obviously, but... Depending on their age, it's the responsibility of their parents to ensure they know what their kids are up to during the day. And if they're jigging or wagging or whatever the hell you want to call it these days, well, then there needs to be appropriate punishment. Not an incentive like an ice cream or a trip to the local barber or pool if they go to school. I don't think so anyway. 13, 12, 69 if you'd like to have your say. All right, now Dennis is on the open line. Morning, Dennis. How are you? Well, mate, good. You? All right, thank you, Den. Uh, your team had a bit of a win on the weekend, did they? No, I think. Uh, oh, in the trial, no, we. Uh, I think they lost. They played against North East or whatever the hell they called the the feeder club. Oh, on. the Roosters, right? Out, yeah, yeah something like sorry. that. Only it was twenty six twenty, only close, but we. I think we ran a, a reserve grade side in the second half. But anyway, mate, I. Looked at the game at um, Charity Shield. Yes. Did you watch it? No, mate, I didn't. I don't have Fox, oh. I didn't watch it. Mate, the performance of Latrell Mitchell. I, I never thought that anybody would ever have a chance of replacing 
the Roosters fullback at State of Origin. He was just brilliant. Mate, the performance, the, the running, the catching, the passing, everything about him, he, he was just unbelievable. Oh, it's good. Absolutely. You know, and everybody sort of commented, you know, the, the players when they come off because they all ask about him or whatever, mm-hmm. the things he did and the, the passing and, you know, it was just, from what he was last year... Well, hey, let's be a little careful. The bloke's played gone. an absolute fortune. Um, let's yeah. not elevate him to uh, superstardom status because they're footballers. At the end of the day, they're paid yeah. extremely well to throw and keep yeah. the football around. Yeah, yeah I, I understand. But so, so a lot of... They, they paid $900,000 for a, a bloke at St George you wouldn't give nine bob for. Well, there you go. So, you know, like... But this, this the performance is... Yeah, you, you can see that the players that are and the players that aren't. You know, you've got some of your players down there that are on a fair bit of money as well and whatever. So the, the money the money factor, yes. But yeah, but I don't run around and call them superstars. And the problem no, I is I don't... That. I don't. Um, well, no. I'll be honest with you. I'm glad that Latrell Mitchell's playing well. I hope he continues to play well for, yeah. for yeah. South Sydney supporters and I just hope he shuts his mouth. And plays football and and doesn't bring the game into disrepute by carrying on about Aboriginal issues and all the rest of it. He won't. He, he, he's <laughs> a different boy. All right. Well, he's, he's had twelve months under Bennett, mate. He's a different lad. So. We'll see. We'll see. Right. <laughs> all right. All right, mate. Apparently, Manly lost as well. Yeah. They got flogged fifty-two. To, what was it, Scruff? Can't read yeah. it. Fifty-two something. Twenty or something, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, look, they're only trials. I know that too, but again, you know, you start, you got to start looking at the some of the young players that come on from South Sydney in the second half. Yeah, didn't play last year because of the virus situation. Yeah, you know, so I, I, I'm, I'm predicting your mob and South to play the grand final. There you are. Oh, there you go. Um, well, maybe not quite sure. We'll, we'll see what happens. I, I really think so. I don't. I don't it's, um, well, the Tigers had a good win. They played. They played mainly. I think it was the Tigers that smacked their bum. Oh, but, okay. Um, uh, I'm, I'm predicting Penrith won't make the top four. There you are. Well, I don't know. I mean, they played well last year. They got all the way to the grand final, yeah. but yeah, they've lost. They've lost players, and they've lost their coach. The coach went to Canterbury, mate. The other bloke couldn't coach big anyway. <laughs> That's my opinion. All losing, right, then. Righto. You have a wonderful have a day. day, and uh, yeah, I look forward to the football. Only two weeks, two weeks to go until the NRL returns. And uh, yeah, what happened to your manly sea weasel scruff? Well, I'm glad you couldn't see that uh, that scoreline there, fifty-two eighteen to the Tigers. Oh well, the Tigers happened. of all teams. Oh, oh God, what do you mean of all teams? Well, uh, oh, it's a trial. Yeah, I, I know it's a trial, but trials are what the t- what, what the season's going to bring. Hopefully not. Um, well, we'll see what happens. But um, so this year uh, we're going to be speaking to um, the go- the boys from Talking yes, Sport. We get old Graham and uh, Graham Hughes, yeah, and Pappy and Gav. We'll right. get on all, every every couple of Tunksy? weeks. Tunksy, yeah, one of the greatest players of all time. Or do a, a rotating <laughs> roster of the boys. Yes, yes, they're looking um, forward to that. All right, so yeah, each and every. Th- Thursday, because Thursday football again is back. And, Thursday uh, night footy. Yeah, so each and every Thursday we'll do a a review of the week ahead mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with one of the boys from Talking Sport. So yes. I'm looking forward to that. That'll, that'll be, good. be good. Fantastic. Uh, that'll start in a couple of weeks, of course. Uh, what not next weekend, the following, and rugby league gets underway. Is Canberra finally going to win the damn thing this oh, year? God, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Uh, it's very early days, so obviously new season. We'll see what happens.
Well, it's going to be a good one, so I think. So long as yeah. Manly don't. <laughs> Give us a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Uh, workers will endure a two-year fall in the real value of their wages despite a rapid economic recovery underway following the coronavirus pandemic. Story in today's Sydney Morning Herald uh, talks about this assessment of 22 of the nation's top economists as part of a scope survey on a range of critical indicators over 21 and 2022. Even before the pandemic recession, wage growth had been stagnant. We know that. I mean, when was the last time you received a a fairly decent pay rise? (laughs) Unless, of course, you're a politician. I mean, real wage growth has been terrible over the past decade or so. I mean, it's at a record low, 1.4%. It'll drop, they say, to 1.2% this year and lift to 1.6% in 2022. This is despite inflation being expected to average at nearly 3% to the June quarter, so that's 2.7%, and it'll drop down to 1.7% over the next year. So in other words, wages are not keeping pace with inflation. Even under the most opportunic forecast, opportunistic rather, forecast of 2.1% wages growth from industry super Australia economists, wage rises would still fail to outpace the panel's inflation expectations. So while this means household budgets could face extra pressure in the coming two years, the overall economic outlook is positive after a year that left the country facing its first recession since 1990-91. Our economy is expected to grow by 6.5% this year and 2.9% in the year 2022. Our economy grows, but real wages don't. I don't quite understand. Meanwhile, I see the state government in New South Wales will ban firefighting foams that contain PFAS chemicals, bringing New South Wales into line with Queensland and South Australia, where foams containing the toxins are already outlawed. Our Environment Minister in New South Wales, Matt Keane, will today announce the ban on the use of firefighting foams containing PFAS for training or demonstration purposes from this month. So there we go. 13 12 69, the telephone number, Marcus Paul, in the morning. Morning to you all. Podcast Marcus Paul in the morning at any time. Go to 2sm.com.au and click the show page. All right, give me a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number, 23 minutes after six now. Uh, look, I've been alerted to an issue down in Janali on Thursday. February 11, a new commuter car park was announced for Janali. Now, this revealed the New South Wales government's plan for the forced acquisition of of nine family homes actionable immediately. Now, the four-level car park was announced in an R2-zoned area with no communication with the community, including those that have been told they are losing their family homes. They all have genuine concerns for the traffic management impact, environmental impact and the scale of development in quiet residential streets. So there's a petition that's available for people to sign. Now, I've sent a a note off to Save Our Homes, Janali 
social media site. We're hoping somebody comes back to us so we can get them on the air and find out exactly, well, it's obvious what the issues are. These people want to keep their homes. Uh, Nine family homes set to be compulsorily acquired by the government without, it would appear, any consultation. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. Final report into the Royal Commission into the aged care sector will show us that we need to listen, really bloody listen, to older people and their families. For too long, the government has ignored the views of older people. Oh, absolutely. We're saying that government needs to take a bit of time to digest it. Uh, But yes, you're absolutely right that older Australians get a big say in what kind of aged care system uh, the government's prepared to uh, create. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. I do have a breaking news story here. The body of missing businesswoman Melissa Caddick has been found on the New South Wales South Coast more than three months after she disappeared from her home in Sydney's eastern suburbs. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, to the news in just a moment. Uh, a message from Kevin, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. G'day, Marcus. Can anyone please explain to me the behaviour of these anti-vaxxer loonies? The vaccinations are not compulsory, but incredibly sensible. The government is not forcing anyone to have them. This isn't China. They don't have tracking chips embedded in them. Herd community, or sorry, I beg your pardon, herd immunity is our best defence against COVID and the higher the percentage, the safer the entire public will be. The vaccines are safe, developed by the best scientists on earth as a global urgency, well-tested and proven. Are they psycho screamers all escapees from the dark side of the moon? I can see no reason for the bizarre behaviour of this mob, unless I'm missing something. And that's a message from Kevin, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com, if you would like to send your note to the program as well. Now, the state government is planning to privatise a New South Wales TAFE facility with an independent valuation, putting the reserve price at less than what it cost more than 25 years ago. The government will sell scone TAFE in the Hunter Valley, after last year telling a parliamentary inquiry it had no plans to do so. The nearly 18-hectare site has been advertised for sale at a price below replacement cost. The real estate agent cited confidentiality agreements in not revealing the market price range. Now, Coalition Government Ministers George Souris and John Fay announced in 1991 Scone would get a new $3.2 million TAFE college. It opened in 96 and operates as a specialist equine training facility. Now, Labor will raise the issue in a budget estimates hearing today after obtaining internal TAFE documents in a parliamentary call for papers which show the Scone site had been independently valued at up to $3.5 million. The market valuation put the reserve price at $3 million. Now, the advertisement for the sale says TAFE will lease back part of the property for one year with an option for two more 12-month periods. Uh, now, what's going on? Well, Labor's TAFE and Skills spokesman Jihad Dib said the arrangement makes absolutely no sense. Why would you sell a world-renowned facility, let alone for less than it costs to build? <laughs> and the budget papers show the government is looking to raise nearly $13 million through TAFE asset sales. 
given they will accept a meagre $3 million for Scone, what other TAFE campuses are on the chopping block? Well, it's a very, very good point. A very good point. 13 12 69, the telephone number, if you'd like to have your say on that. All right, Marcus Paul in the morning, 25 to 7. Good morning to you all. Podcast Marcus Paul in the morning at any time. Go to 2sm.com.au and click the show page. Alrighty, uh, 16 minutes away from 7. Give us a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number. A man's been charged with inciting a dog attack after a police officer was mauled during a call-out to an alleged domestic violence incident. This happened in George's Hall early yesterday morning, Sunday morning where a male sergeant was bitten and left with serious facial injuries while trying to arrest a 52-year-old man. Police say the 60-kilogram dog, so it's a big dog, attacked the sergeant while he was speaking to a 59-year-old woman at the scene. The man was allegedly holed up in the garage of a Marsden Street house with a rottweiler. When officers arrived at around 1.30 in the morning, police were alleged the man verbally abused police before inciting the dog to attack. Dear, oh dear. When officers removed the man from the garage and put him in a cage truck, the dog ran out on the streets. At around 2am, the woman secured the dog, but as the male sergeant was speaking to her, it lunged and attacked him. The sergeant was taken to Liverpool Hospital for surgery and the dog was seized by council rangers. Not good, not good at all. Well, is the New South Wales government at a quarter to seven flogging off TAFE campuses across the state in order to raise money? It's a, well, it's a question that needs to be asked. The state government is planning to privatise a New South Wales TAFE facility with an independent valuation putting the reserve price at less than what it cost more than 25 years ago. Jihad Dib is the TAFE and Skills spokesman for New South Wales Labor and joins us on the program. Good morning, Jihad. How are you? Good morning, Marcus. Good, mate. How are you going? Not bad. Not bad. Tell me what's happening here. This is this TAFE college that uh, was originally opened um, back in 1991, yeah. uh, and it's one of the best up there in the Hunter at Scone, 17 and a half hectares or more. What's happening here? Well, so you're spot on. Back in 1991, there was a big push. As we know, Scone area is known as the horse capital of Australia. Yeah. And there was a plan there to actually build a TAFE next to a race course and a horse museum. It made perfect sense for the local industry. And in 1996, the government allocated, state government allocated uh, over $3 million in one of their budgets to be able to build the campus then. It was also jointly funded by the Commonwealth. Fast forward 25 years later... And, uh, and the government wants to walk away from their commitment to TAFE, to give up on the TAFE system there. Um, and they're willing to accept below the replacement cost and below the cost that they actually paid for it. Well, why? It's, I know, it's <laughs> unbelievable. You, you actually can't imagine that this is true. 
Well, I don't know, with this mob. Budget papers show the government is looking to raise nearly $13 million through TAFE asset sales. So given they'll accept a meagre $3 million for Scone, I mean, you're rightly going to ask the question today in submissions that what else is on the chopping block? Well, well, and interestingly, with that, Marcus, um, in budget estimates last year, now for those who've done a budget estimates process, basically once a year we get an opportunity to question the minister, and we hope they'll answer the questions this time, and the department heads. And we asked the question last year, it was around April, about whether scone tape was actually, there was a plan to sell scone tape, and we were met with a flat denial. When the Connected Learning Centre opened in scone, we asked the same question, and again we were met with a flat denial. So today we'll be asking that. We'll be asking, how is it possible that if you're willing to accept $3 million or so for Scone TAFE and you need to raise $13 million, what's next? What, what's the next TAFE campus? But what's the bigger picture? Like, what's, this idea of privatisation, so I've been criticised because I've been saying they've been privatising, but where it gets more ridiculous, Marcus, is that there is actually a, a plan that this TAFE campus in Scone will be sold and then it will be leased back by the TAFE. So in other words, they want to walk away from the commitment to TAFE, but they know they still need it. Mm. Now, that's privatisation by stealth, and it, it's, it's this, just something that's not right. It doesn't make sense as to why you would sell something below the cost, and then you would lease it back and somehow claim that it's underutilised. Um, you know, I mean, geez, to, 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 raise, to raise a little bit of money in the middle of a pandemic and a recession and a skill shortage... And we know we'll never be able to get this campus back. That's really short-sighted. Well, what does the Minister, uh, Minister for Skills and Tertiary Education, Jeff Lee, have to say about it? Uh, am I reading correctly here that he's referring the issue back to TAFE itself? Isn't that passing the buck? Mate, you couldn't have said it any better. I mean, ministers, you, you, you'll always be able to find a minister to make a comment when it's something good. But the moment that they refer it to a spokesperson and to the department, you know that you're onto something. And normally the minister would get up and would deny it themselves or they would say something, but they refer it to the department. Ironically, the department says, oh, we can't talk about that because it's in confidence and we're not going to disclose anything. Well, we managed through Parliament to actually get this valuation, and that's how we know what they're willing to accept as a reserve price. Um, you know, and, and I, think, I think they've actually been caught out. Um, we've done our research, gone all the way back to 1991. Yeah. Um, because because this is so important. Now, we've got to also understand, Marcus, that this TAFE was built with a specialty for the equine industry. That's everything from farriery through to, um, you know, horse husbandry through to nursing, everything you can imagine around the horse industry, stable hands. Yep. And if there's only two TAFEs that run it in New South Wales, sure. either in Richmond mm. or Scone. So once we lose Scone... No matter where you are in New South Wales, the only other place you can get any training like this from a public provider like TAFE will actually be in Richmond. And that's just not acceptable. It's, it's just completely wrong. All right. Well, uh, I'll be interested to hear uh, how you go today. Will, will you be speaking to the Minister, uh, to Jeff yeah. Lee? So, so what happens with budget estimates? It's the Legislative Council, so the upper house are the ones that ask the questions, but I've prepared all the questions for them. Uh, there's particular things I want to find out. I want to find out what else is planned for sale, why you would accept less than what the market value is, um, why you're walking away from TAFE. And the other one that we sort of touched on last time is, you know, the 700-odd positions. Why are, we, why are we sacking staff from TAFE and at the same time saying that we've got a commitment to it? What I see more and more is that this government 
is not only just walking away from TAFE, but they're actually giving up on TAFE. And, and I want to know why, because the community deserves a response to this. All right, good to have you on the program, Jihab. We'll talk soon. Thank you. You're a good man. Thanks, Marcus. All right, there he is, uh, the TAFE and Skills spokesman for Labor in New South Wales, Jihad Dib. I mean, aren't we looking toward creating jobs in this state? If we keep flogging off TAFE campuses, how are we going to upskill how are we going to get young men and women out of school, high school, year 10? A lot of people in year 10 choose to finish then and then go to TAFE uh, to upskill, maybe learn to trade, whatever it is. Shouldn't that be a priority? Shouldn't we, rather than flogging off TAFE campuses, shouldn't we be, I don't know, investing in them? spending more money, getting better courses up and running so we can have a more skilled workforce in New South Wales, perhaps. By the way, on Thursday, February 11, a new commuter car park was announced in the Sydney suburb of Janali. Now, this revealed the New South Wales State Government's plans for the forced acquisition of nine family homes, which is actionable immediately. So, in other words, uh, compulsory acquisition of homes. Now, the four-level car park was announced in an R2-zoned area with no apparent communication with the community, including those that have now been told that they're losing their family homes. They have genuine concerns, not only for those people who are losing their homes, but countless others in that community who are concerned about traffic management. Uh, also, the environmental impact and the scale of development in quiet residential streets. So as a result, they've, uh, they want to have a meaningful dialogue with state representatives and stop the nine families from being forced from the area and their homes being seized by the state government, so much so that they've set up a petition. Now, my understanding is that the petition has reached some 10,000 signatories within 10 days. So it's obviously struck a chord in the community down there in Janali. Uh, now, again, I put a post up on their social media page. If you're aware of this issue and you would like to give me a call and talk about it, uh, you're welcome to. Uh, 13 12 69, the telephone number, 13 12 69. Uh, perhaps if you want to hop on, I'll share a, a, a link to their page as well on our socials so that we can get more and more people aware of what's happening down there. Uh, I know it's important for, you know, for infrastructure to be built, car parks and all the rest of it, but it shouldn't be without proper community consultation and it certainly shouldn't be uh, against the wishes of a local community. And if a local community are behind nine families who look to be evicted from their homes, which are being compulsorily acquired by the state government for a car park, well, that's when people power, in my opinion, needs to come to the fore and let's talk about it. That's what this open line is for. That's what this program is for. 13 12 69 is the telephone number. All right, here at Marcus Paul in the morning, we are going to make March purple for epilepsy. March is Epilepsy Awareness Month. Epilepsy is more common than you might think. Approximately a quarter of a million Australians are currently living with epilepsy, while 1 in 25, more than a million, will be diagnosed in their lifetime. An even larger number will experience at least one seizure in their lifetime. 
about 1 in 10 people or 2.5 million Australians. Now, epilepsy doesn't discriminate based on age, gender or ethnicity. Contrary to popular belief, epilepsy is most prevalent among older Australians. 45 to 54-year-olds are the most represented, closely followed by people aged 65 plus. Now, you can make a difference to the lives of those living with epilepsy. Go to makemarchpurple.org.au for more information. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, welcome to Monday. Great to have you company. Welcome back if you've already been with us this morning. It's the start of a brand new working week and the start of a brand new month. 131269, my telephone number, emails, MP in the morning at 2SMSupernetwork.com. Now, I see Adam Bant from the Green says there's now a dark cloud over the Cabinet and the Government. We need to make Parliament a safe place for women. Parliamentary staff shouldn't be going to work wondering if they're working alongside someone who's been accused of such a heinous crime. The position of the accused means this is a matter of national significance. These are extremely serious and shocking allegations that should be investigated to the fullest possible extent. The circumstances of this case and the potential difficulties of prosecuting the matter mean the Prime Minister cannot wait for the police investigation alone. The Prime Minister must also conduct his own independent inquiry to determine whether this minister is fit to be in his cabinet. If the PM doesn't at least stand this man aside while he conducts his own inquiry, then he's sending the terrible message there is space in his cabinet for someone with an unresolved rape accusation. Well, that came from Adam Bant yesterday. Adam will be on the program tomorrow. And we got that from Adam before more allegations were made. Allegations of sexual assault now on both sides of Australian politics. And they've intensified with an accusation of rape now against a federal Labor MP. Victorian Liberal Senator Sarah Henderson said a woman emailed her allegation yesterday, which she forwarded to the Australian Federal Police. Senator Henderson would not name the Labor MP concerned while a spokesman for Labor leader Anthony Albanese said he was aware of the accusation but had not received the email. Now, this comes, of course, after another anonymous letter on Friday about an alleged rape in 1988 by a man who is now in federal cabinet. He's not been named either by police or the media. So we've allegedly got all of these so-called, well, predators, for want of a better word, operating within our federal government, both within the government itself and also within the opposition, but nobody is prepared to name anybody. Are you kind of getting a little bit sick of all this rubbish? I really am. Uh, Look, I know it's a very, very serious allegation to level against somebody. I get that. I understand that. But why are these, these women from both sides, telling their stories to politicians. Why are they not going immediately to the police? Now, maybe, maybe it is that they fear 
Well, obviously, the second one can't, the other one, because she unfortunately took her own life last year. Anyway, there'll be plenty more on this. Plenty more on this. But I'm getting a little bit sick and tired of the tit-for-tat that's going on now. I got a stack of messages overnight saying, oh, the LMP dirt unit is out now and now there's a Another allegation this time about a Labor MP who's currently serving with Anthony Albanese. I'm getting sick of it. I really am. I'm getting sick of the politics of all this stuff. Rape is not a political issue. Rape is a police issue. Now, obviously, um, the story of Brittany Higgins has been told. And, I mean, if these in particular, the latest one, the latest allegation, if this person, this woman who's anonymous who's emailed the Liberal Senator Sarah Henderson, if she's felt the same way, that she hasn't been able to come forward uh, because of retribution, loss of job, etc., well, let her say that, if that's the case. But right now we're dealing with a lot of unknowns, and to be perfectly honest, I think all Australians are getting a bit sick and tired of it. Name people, have investigations done, or drain the swamp. Get rid of the whole lot of them. But I don't know. I think we've had an absolute gutful of it all. And, you know, I still stand by my comments that I, you know, I really believe that our Prime Minister wasn't being honest last week when he said that he hadn't heard of allegations of rape, etc. I mean, they reached almost everybody else in the building apart from the bloody Prime Minister. I don't buy it for a minute. Not for a minute. We deserve better. We deserve much more. One of the highest tax countries on this planet. Yes, we have a fairly decent standard of living. I get that. You know, but we're being let down by those in Canberra. There needs to be greater transparency. There needs to be more honesty and accountability. And above all else, if, you know, probably above all else, there needs to be some bloody well damn respect for women. Why are these women going to politicians with their allegations of, you know, extreme allegations of rape and sexual assault. Why are they going to the politicians? Why aren't they going to police? And and I'm not talking about the AFP that are within the halls of Parliament House. I wouldn't go to them with an issue. No way. Because you'd be, <laughs> you can guarantee it probably wouldn't leave the building, as in the case of Brittany Higgins. I would go outside of the Canberra bubble and I'd make my allegations to ACT policing as far away as I could from Red Hill or Capitol Hill. 131269. Well, I see the Deputy uh, Premier John Barillaro is up to his old gymnastics best again. Bit of a backflip on Grant's. He will now prioritise Blue Mountain, Central Coast and other areas that missed out. (laughs) Well, he got no choice, really. No choice whatsoever. When you've been caught with your hand in the pork barrel and cookie jar, the best way to make amends is by, well, next time round, spread the money out a little more fairly. Uh, David Shoebridge is with us on the program as he is each and every Monday. Morning, mate. How are you? 
Yeah, good, Marcus. Good, good. A bit of relief for the long-suffering residents of Blue Mountain, Central Coast and, and the North Coast, but it shouldn't have taken this, should it? Well, no, it shouldn't have. Uh, better late than never. Uh, well, hopefully now we'll be able to see some equity and, f- equity and fairness <coughs> in the doling out of, uh, of taxpayer dollars. Well, at least, well, we hope in the next round. But I, I've got to say, you know, the Deputy Premier a couple of weeks ago turned up to the Grants Inquiry and rejected any allegation that anything had gone wrong, that he'd never done anything, never made a politically biased decision. And then he spent the next three weeks been, I think everywhere he turned up, people being disgusted by what had happened, public opinion being so clearly offended by politicising disaster relief that he then, we had him in budget estimates at the end of last week. And, mm. um, you know, I put to him, you know, what, what the bloody hell are you doing? And then he said, well, look, you know, oh, you know, credit to the inquiry, credit to public opinion. We've decided to actually give money where it's needed rather than just based on politics. Well, All right. Well, yeah. look, whatever. Um, I don't. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't care about the politics of it. I know you do, David. But I just want the money spent. I want our taxpayer dollars spent as fairly and equitably as possible, and not just on you know who votes for whom. So that's that's a win, David. Well, well done. Oh no, no, no. Hundred percent. That's a win. But we yeah. need to ingrain this lesson across <laughs> politics so Absolutely. it never happens again. And, and I can tell you, unfortunately, there's, 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 there will be plenty more stories about grants coming out as, as we look poke around and look deeper into these things. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll notch this up as a win. Um, well done to the public for expressing their disgust. Um, let's keep the pressure on. All right. Now, you found out in estimates <coughs> last week that the New South Wales government has approved uh, 100% of the applications to destroy Aboriginal heritage. What? What, for mines and developments? To, what's this all about? Yeah, so the, the um, Aboriginal heritage in this state is protected by a part of the National Parks and Wildlife Act. Now, you, you talk to Aboriginal people, you talk to First Nations people, and they are yeah. deeply offended by the idea that their cultural heritage is equated, you know, with plants and animals, flora and fauna. They, 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 they have been saying for decades they want a standalone Aboriginal Heritage Protection Act that, that gives Aboriginal people the primary say over the protection of their culture and their, their, their heritage. Instead, we've got a, a totally broken set of laws where miners, big developers, government agencies, if, if there's a bit of Aboriginal cultural heritage in the way, you know, some rock carvings or some um, uh, important artefact sites, they put an application into the Environment Department or the Heritage Department and say, we want to destroy it. We'll take some photos of it, though, and then we'll destroy it. 100% approval. Every single time they, they make an application to destroy Aboriginal heritage, every single time it's been approved Where's in the last Where's the pushback coming from? Uh, has there been, or is it done in secret? Is it too secretive that there can't be any pushback on it? Well, I mean, the Aboriginal community push back all the time. They, 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 they contact other politicians, they contact my office, they say it's totally inappropriate. But all these decisions are being made by a bunch of bureaucrats, um, almost... It's, it's not Aboriginal-controlled decision-making. It's all made by a bunch of bureaucrats. And every time they say, well, you know, the mine will bring extra jobs on balance, let the mine go ahead, and you'll be satisfied for the Aboriginal community if we take a few photographs of it and before we destroy it. Or we might cut out the rock carving and, and stick it in, you know, stick it in a museum or a shelf somewhere. And um, 100% approval. And, and it's not just the last 12 months. We've tracked this back over the last seven years. A hundred percent approval over the last seven years. So, what kind of? I mean, I don't, have you got a, an example there? Just sorry to pick one. Yeah, off the I'll top give of you an example. Please. Up in the um, up up in the Hunter Valley, there's 
um, there there is there's there's a beautiful um, series of um, uh, grinding grooves in the middle of a um, in the middle of a, a a creek line. Sure, that's extremely important. Those grinding grooves um, have been there for around about uh, three thousand years, four thousand years, mm. um, and they are an important meeting point and uh, a sacred sort of meeting point um, for men's business. Now, they, um, the appro- the approval was initially given to destroy everything around them and leave this sort of circle, about 80-metre-wide circle, just with the grinding groove in it and surround the rest of it by an open-cut coal mine. Oh. And then then later on, that was found to be too inconvenient and they got an approval to literally cut out the rock grooves and then just wipe out the rest of it with an open-cut coal mine. But, you know, we see the same. that They buried a, a, an extremely important um, Aboriginal historic site to build the um, the marshalling yards for the light rail. Um, yeah, regularly, they destroy rock art for, mm. for, for, for coal mines in the in the Hunter Valley. I mean, the, the problem is can't every preser- single application. Yeah, can't <clears throat> we preserve this heritage? I mean, look, I uh, I understand. For instance, um, let's just take for instance the where you said the the marshalling yard for the light rail. Can't they incorporate somehow um, the historical significance of the site in the development? Is, is, are there any concessions at all, for instance, on this? Yeah, well, they, in, in that case, they, they did a couple of exploration pits and they got a few thousand artefacts out of those exploration pits, tiny proportion of the site, and then they gave those to the local Aboriginal Lands Council to, mm. to, to keep. And... Um, you know, that's the kind of concessions we get. I mean, one of the other options in that site could have been that you move the marshalling yards slightly to the east and you take up a bit of the race, um, a bit of the land owned by the race course. But of course, uh, you know, the race course have political backers. Uh, they were never going to have that. And the poor old bloody Aboriginal community, um, again, just saw their entire site covered in concrete. All right. And for instance, on <coughs> with open cup mines and other mining issues, I mean, if you say, we're, with you know the example you gave me, why couldn't the the open cup mine, for instance, be moved? Uh, I well, don't know, a, a few well, hundred well, meters I mean, uh, yeah, to one well, side course, or the other. Yeah, and of course it could be respected. In other cases, um, we've had open cut coal mines um, run their way through state forests, but in the course of doing that, investigations have shown repeated burial sites for Aboriginal people, um, and that dating back thousands and thousands of years. And those burial sites are literally just photographed, picked up, and destroyed. And um, and and you know there there are plenty of coal deposits in the Hunter Valley. Yeah. At some point, you would think at one point, just once, Aboriginal culture and Aboriginal heritage would be important enough to say actually not this hill, go over in the other direction, not this hill, but not once. And so, you know, we've had the previous Labor government promise to get standalone Aboriginal heritage protection laws. We've had this government promise to do it. It's apparently a bipartisan commitment. Mm. But because at some point you're going to have to give First Nations people, Aboriginal people, control over their heritage, and at some point they're going to say no to a coal mine, they're refusing to actually produce that. No to a coal mine, no to a development, and no government's willing to to give First Nations people that power. And, you know, it says a lot about us as a country. It does, and if you're saying this has gone on over seven years and 100% of, of, you know, the occasions where there's been some kind of... um, well, uh, pushback from the Aboriginal community, they've basically been told, well, not too bad, we're going ahead. Yeah, they're called, they're known as AHIPs, Aboriginal Heritage um, 
Yes, um, impact permits. And yep. it's basically a, a process of managed destruction. We have a process where we, in a nice, neat, bureaucratic way, every time Aboriginal heritage gets in the way of something, we have a process to manage its destruction. We, we, we just don't protect it. And, you know, we saw that example in WA with the Duke and Gorge, you know, 40,000-year-old, 50,000-year-old rock art, this extraordinary um, part of our culture, you know, blown up for, a, for, a, for an iron... For an iron ore mine, yeah. Well, the same thing's happening here in um, in New South Wales, often for coal, but also for other developments. Mm. All right, David. Well, you know, uh, we'll talk about it more on this program. Um, nobody else is, and I appreciate it, mate. Thank you very much for touching base. No worries, Mark. It's good speaking. Talking in next week. There he is, uh, Greens MP David Shoebridge on the program. And look, I know a lot of people say, "Oh, well, you know." Uh, it's progress and we need jobs and we need to build things. Well, that's fine. I get all of that. But, you know, we can't just completely ignore Aboriginal heritage. And if, you know, their wishes or, or their concerns are basically ignored 100% of the time, David is right. Um, you know, it's not right. Not 100% of the time. 13, 12, 69 to have you say. Marcus Paul in the morning. 22 minutes after 7. Now, after 7.30, we're going to catch up with Nikki Fay. Uh, she is our resident social media expert. Of course, things are back to almost normal on Facebook. Uh, but today, Nikki wants to talk about pixels. What the hell are pixels? Well, I know what they are. Do you? And how do you use them on social media? Anyway, uh, Nikki... Um, will join us after the 7.30 news. Now, also this morning after 8 o'clock, I'm going to catch up with a, a young lady. Well, young lady. My age. We're young, aren't we? Anyway, uh, her name is Kelly Hawkins. Kelly and I went to university together, and her partner, Matt, and us three, were, well, we were inseparable. Um, it's been very tough on Kelly and and her and Matt's kids in the last year or so because unfortunately we lost Matt just over 15 months ago to cancer. Anyway, Kelly's worked as a journalist. Uh, she did the same course I did at uni and all the rest of it. And uh, she's, oh, she's a champion. She really is. And she's written a, a brand new book. She's an upcoming, wonderful Australian author. And this book is so good that... Uh, the publisher have named it as their book of the month. So I'm going to speak to Kelly about it. Um, you know, it's a page-turning debut from a wonderful Australian author. Uh, the perfect family, the perfect house, too good to be true. Kate Webb still grieves for her young son. Ten years after his loss, she spends her weekends hungover, attending open houses on Sydney's wealthy North Shore and imagining the lives of people who live there. Then Kate visits the Harding House, the perfect house, with, it seems, the perfect family. A photograph captures a kind-looking man, a beautiful woman she once knew from university days, and a boy, a boy that for one heartbreaking moment she believes is her own son. When her curiosity turns to obsession, she uncovers the cracks that lie beneath a glossy facade of perfection, sordid truths she could never have imagined. But is it her imagination? As events start to spiral dangerously out of control, could the real threat come from Kate herself?
It's a great book. It's a great read. It's a page turner. And Kelly, who writes reports for a private investigator as well as working on novels for adults and kids, well, it's her debut effort, and I tell you what, it's pretty bloody good. Kelly's been a political journalist, a graphic designer, and even a mystery shopper. (laughs) And she writes here, (laughs) and a staple remover. Staple remover? Anyway, we'll catch up with Kel after 8 o'clock this morning, which I'm looking forward to. 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. Mobile phone bills, car rego and home internet are in, while Netflix, Siggies and restaurant meals are out. That's the verdict of Australian voters, polled by the Menzies Research Centre in its Attitudes to Job Seeker survey, who think the government money should only be used for necessities and tools that might help the unemployed find a job. Well, that's going to go down like a lead balloon in some circles, I think. According to the poll, voters also believe that dole payments should be kept at a level where basics are affordable, but frills such as dining out or getting takeaway, buying booze and premium label supermarket food are off the table. But televisions, laptops, mortgages, well, obviously mortgages and childcare are also, uh, they all pass muster with the voters. The problem is, on what, forty, almost $44 a day or whatever it'll end up being, close to that. I mean, come on. You can't even barely afford the mortgage, let alone anything else. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, 22 minutes away from 8 o'clock. Look, you recall in the last few weeks we've been discussing the issue out there at Orchard Hills where home and landowners feel that they have been let down by the state governments who are trying to compulsorily acquire their homes, their land, and for this 26 hectares that they say they need for the construction of a metro station planned for the area, of course, for the Western Sydney Airport. Uh, Now, there's been a bit of a breakthrough on that, which is good, after plenty of advocacy and some community consultation, and there's been a bit of a breakthrough there as... Well, that's what I'm led to believe. Basically, what's happened is the Transport Minister, Andrew Constance, has backtracked. Now... Let's hope that is the case in this instance, because there's another story that's starting to emerge, and this isn't around the area of Orchard Hills, but rather Janali. Early planning is underway to provide additional commuter parking in Janali. The project is part of the New South Wales government's commuter car park program, they say, to provide people with more convenient access to public transport at key interchanges and helping to ease congestion on our roads. Well, look, in concept, it sounds okay. The problem is you're dealing with people here who have lived in the area who are going to lose their homes and who claim that basically they haven't been consulted. So on Thursday, the 11th of February, a new commuter car park was announced in Janali. This revealed the New South Wales government's plans for the forced acquisition of nine family homes actionable immediately. The four-level car park was announced in an R2-zoned area with no communication whatsoever with the community, including those that have been told they are losing their family homes. Now, residents in the area 
I mean, 10,000 plus and counting who have signed a petition against this basically say they have genuine concerns about traffic management, environmental impacts and the scale of development in a quiet residential street. So they want to open up some meaningful dialogue with the state government and also importantly stop nine families from being forced from the area and their homes seized by the state government. Now, Liam Mulhall is the owner of one of these nine houses. He joins us on the program. Liam, good morning. Uh, good morning, Marcus. Thank you for your time. What's happening here? Have you not been at all informed about what's been going on until the 11th hour? Or? That's absolutely correct. Uh, we were away on the 11th of February. We were on holiday down the coast, and we got a phone call from our house sitter to say that two gentlemen from New South Wales Transport had knocked on the door that morning to inform the occupants, the residents, that the house would be compulsorily taken for the reason to build a multi-storey car park in our quiet little suburban street mm. for purely for commuter parking. Uh, they actually did start the clock the next day, the 12th, yep. the six-month clock, we received the letter actually on the 18th, date of the 12th, <clears throat> which commenced the six-month negotiation period. And negotiation is questionable whether it truly is negotiable because if we don't agree, it happens anyway. Okay. So what they want to do is they want to take your home, another eight homes in that uh, in that street. What's the name of the street? It's it's two streets. Two streets, with yes. With houses back-to-back. Back. Mary Street is our street with five houses. Right. And Mitchell Avenue has is, is got four houses which back onto ours. So they want the suburban block. Mm. Why do they want to build the car park there? Have they told you why? Uh, no. As you said in your intro, we have not had any communication prior to the 11th of February. Zilch, zero. There's been no community consultation. They've been working on this since September and in total secrecy as far as we can determine. Um, and then they sprung this shock and awe, surprise, dawn attack on us on the 12th of February. We're still reeling. I'm just having a look at the map here. Um, it looks to me there are other areas where they could build this thing. Well, absolutely, there are. And it's all the rush. What's this dreadful haste? I mean, they're telling us we're counting down now to the 12th of August. And from our point of view, it just looks like um, they're doing this for political reasons because promises were made at the last election and they want to be able to have a nice big ribbon cutting or, or unveil a plaque for the next election. Because this, you know, it's a very short space of time. Um, What's we think it should be done properly, yeah. not just quickly. What uh, is happening with the Janali Community Centre that's there? Is that set to go as well? No, there's uh, some retail shops, there's a community centre and there's uh, a garage which would remain. It's only the houses that they're going to take. And you asked earlier if there were other potential sites. Mm. Yes, there absolutely are. 
there is a site. This is a, I don't know if you know Janelli at all, but uh, it's, I think it's about 6,000 people. We have a village high street, yep. which is a bit run down and tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Woolworths there, and Woolworths own a number of properties, and they're anxious to to be part of a revitalization. This is on Bo- high street. Sorry, this is on Box Road, is that right? That's correct. Yep, okay. Which is equidistant from the station to our homes. And at the moment, the council own a car park behind Woolworths. It's actually council property. I'm looking at it just Uh, off Beatrice Road there, just off Beatrice Road and Charles Place. There looks to be a whole swag of what appears to be vacant land. Now, why the heck wouldn't you put a car park there? Because the block behind Woolworths in our village... The council, rightly in our view, want this to be part of a of a of an integrated redevelopment of right. the village, which will benefit the businesses. Mm-hmm. It'll then, you know, it's to everyone's benefit, and have using that space, that current council-owned car park, yeah. which is currently used by everyone. That could be that space could be turned into a a joint car park facility as part of a greater development which could accommodate commuters, Mm. shoppers, residents, visitors and help to revitalise our village. Now, that to us seems an eminently sensible and the right thing to do. The problem appears to be that it can't be done quickly enough. And what we're suggesting is, okay, let's all get together and work on this right solution that's that's really for the greater good. It's for our good. You know, our people are in the path of destruction. It's good for our immediate neighbours. It's good for Ginelli business and the greater community. It's good for the Shire. And most of all, it's good for future generations, for the younger people. There's an opportunity here to leave some real genuinely good infrastructure that all the people involved can be proud of. Yeah. Rather than rushing into this haste to do something just for electioneering purposes. All right. Well, uh, we're going to try and help here. Has anybody uh, spoken to the the Minister for Planning, Robert Stokes? Is is Mr. Stokes involved in this or is it... uh, Yes, he he has been. We've been writing letters, as you can imagine, and we've had tremendous, tremendous support and response from everyone we've spoken to. I've personally spoken to hundreds of people in the last since this happened two weeks ago and people are absolutely outraged and aghast that this can be done that it can be done in Australia that the government can just take our houses without any consultation to build this car park. Now we're not against a car park as I've said numerous times we just want it to be done properly and if something needs to be done in the interim, mm. if, you know, this, this 200 spaces are such an absolutely critical problem, um, then surely we can just do some temporary thing, not build a megalithic structure that can, that's there forever. Well, you know, uh, I mean, that can be yes, done. yes. But what, in the interim, while the, the proper solution is done properly, yeah. Look, I agree. Uh, leave it with with us. We will uh, attempt to get a, a conversation going on air with uh, Mr. Stokes. If we have no luck getting on to 
Rob Stokes and his office will speak to the state opposition. We'll get them on the case and and let's talk yeah. about this, Liam. Uh, let's let's oh, look. We really appreciate right. it. Our, this is our only weapon, our only defence. Uh, not a problem, uh, and I can't understand for the life of me why you need to demolish nine homes uh, on, as you say, Mitchell Avenue and and Mary Street. Where yes, my, we're, yeah, we love our community, mm. and it's special to us. And you know, monetary compensation isn't the issue. We can't replicate what we have here. No, no, no. I get that, and particularly um, when you look at. Uh, the land that's owned by council that's behind Woolworths Metro, uh, yes. there seems to be plenty of room there um, for even just a temporary solution until a bigger uh, and more permanent proper, solution. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yes. All right, mate. Well, well, thank you very much for your help. That's all right, Liam. Let's stay in touch. I'll just put you back to Justin so we can get your details, okay? And yes, I urge anybody else uh, who's listening to us this morning to top on uh, our social media page, our Facebook page, uh, and click on the link there if you would like to support these families and this community. Already 10,000 people I see have signed a petition to the state government to stop the construction. Gary, good morning. Are you there, Gary? Yes, yes, Marcus. Hi, mate. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. Excellent, Gary. Marcus, uh I heard your, your discussion on education earlier, and certainly it's an area that I've been concerned with uh, yeah. for quite some time now. Um, um, I'm, I'm concerned that Australia rates rather poorly compared to our OECD and EU... Um, well, we uh, do, yes, yes, associates. absolutely. 39 out of 41. I don't think we could get any lower if no, we tried. No, no. So the issue of uh, attendance at school seemed to be one that um, would would be of interest to everyone. And mm. certainly it's interesting that the, the government is putting the load on principals to do something about it. And, and their con- their response, according to reports, is really to offer bribes to students. To well, that's what I said. I, I don't understand it. I think it's ridiculous. Why are we bribing kids to go to school? Uh, I mean, there needs to be some sort of emphasis placed on responsibility of parents. And this quota that the New South Wales Education Minister, Sarah Mitchell, seems to want to impose on principals who are already, to be honest, let's be honest, as you would know, principals are already, you know, flat chat uh, without getting this extra pressure applied by government. No, it's, it's not up to the school principal to ensure that kids go to school. It's up to the bloody parents. Well, they, they say about 40% of principals are stressed to the point of needing clinical help, and uh, that, that's in keeping with the, uh, the percentage of teachers as well. Um, this is at a time when the department uh, in New South Wales is trying to attract teachers into country schools. Um, they're certainly not going about it the right way. Um, the, the, there is a law, of course, which requires attendance for students up to the yes. age of um, 16, 17. Yep. Yep. They must either be at school, earning or, or learning or earning, basically. But what we find, in fact, is that um, the number of students who, the number of adolescents at that at the latter at the latter end of it anyway who who aren't attending school is really pretty awesome it's uh, it's something like 30 percent uh, if students leave school before year 10 they uh, they have about a 30 percent chance of remaining unemployed for at least a year and beyond that as well so uh, that should certainly start ringing uh, ringing the alarm bells that yep. something needs to be done about keeping them there no absolutely um, 
And, of course, there is a fine also in Queensland. Uh, it's a $700 fine. It's actually $706.15 mm-hmm. uh, for keeping your child away from school for not for, for an, uh, an unacceptable reason. Uh, that's for the first offence, and then it's $1,400 for each subsequent offence. So well, it, look, it should be yeah. something... I'm not really into, yeah, look, I, I don't know how appropriate it is fining parents, um, perhaps, uh, look to take away things that, you know, will ensure that they follow the law, like driver's licences, etc. I think that'd be a much better way to go. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. Uh, Sam, are you, are you there, Sam? Sam, are you there? All right, Sam couldn't hold on. 13, 12, 69, if you would like to have your say. Marcus Paul in the morning where it's now 7 to 8. And now on Marcus Paul in the morning, socially speaking, with Nicole Fay, thanks to Local Edge Marketing. Morning, Nikki. How are you? Morning. Good, good. First day of the month. It is too. It is the <laughs> first day of a brand new month. Uh, and... I guess if you're uh, planning your social uh, media uh, month, what should you be doing, Nikki? That's right. And look, March March always sticks out on the calendar for me. Look, mm-hmm. it's the last um, month of the first quarter of the calendar year. Um, so it's always a month where you want to make sure that you're prepared and you really do want to hit it hard. Now, what I thought I'd talk about today mm-hmm. is um, what I find a lot of business, small business owners don't know that we talk to is the use of um, a tool called Facebook Pixels. Pixels? Now, yeah. Have you heard of that, Marcus? Well, I've heard of it. How does it work? What is it? Yeah, so it's actually really, really simple. All mm. it is, Facebook can generate you a little piece of code. Yeah. You then put that piece of code invisibly at the back of your website. Right. And what that code does, it tracks the visitors on your website. And that's how, when we scroll through our newsfeed, we end up with those ads from websites that we've definitely been on before. Thanks, follow-up. Wow, okay. You might have to uh, tell me how we do this to grow our brand. (laughs) Yeah, look, look, it's really, really popular. It's very effective because if someone visited your website of Mm -hmm. your small business, they're they're obviously interested somewhat. Yes. You know, they're more likely to become a warm, hot lead. Um, so it's always better money spent in your ad spend on social towards people who are more likely to take action, mm. more likely to convert into an actual real customer. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah, it's very, uh, very, very clever. Yep. All right, Nikki, uh, where do we go for all the details on this and and anything else you'd like to know about how perhaps you might use social media, Facebook or otherwise uh, in your small yeah. business? Yeah, definitely. Well, look, I definitely encourage you all to just have a look at the massive amount of information that Facebook has yeah. available. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do have any questions, you can always just search Local Edge Marketing. You can find us online, find us on Facebook, Find us on Instagram. We're always happy to help. Um, we've been doing this for years. Wealth of knowledge. Yep. Um, and it's great for your business. Sounds good to me. All right, Nikki, we'll talk to you next Monday. Thank you. Thanks, Marcus. See you then. Bye-bye. Socially speaking with Nicole Fay from uh, Local Edge Marketing, Marcus Paul in the morning. Hello, Anna. Are you there? Yes. Good morning, Marcus. Morning, Anna. 
Marcus, with regard to um, you know our TAFE colleges, yeah. these TAFE colleges they're an extension of our education system, yes. and they also support our immigration policy. And you know, I think uh, in light of the COVID virus, you know, mm-hmm. this government and our country's realised how much we depend on manufacturing overseas. Yeah, and if the government's serious about it, you know, increasing it here, we need to have these colleges. You know, they're, they're top and front to keep you know producing our own product here in Australia. Um, I think myself, um, you know, in this day and age, we've got to sort of wake up and start making sure that contracts and contractors, they get the, you know, they get the um, first choice with regard to anything here because, Marcus, we've got the product to do all these things. Absolutely. Uh, I don't mean to cut you short, Adam, but I do have to go to the news uh, a little bit behind my ads. But absolutely, Adam, you're right. And if we're looking at creating jobs and having a skilled workforce, it needs to be started with vocational training. Marcus Paul in the morning. Final report into the Royal Commission into the aged care sector will show us that we need to listen, really bloody listen, to older people and their families. For too long, the government has ignored the views of older people. Oh, absolutely. We're saying that government needs to take a bit of time to digest it. Uh, But, yes, you're absolutely right that older Australians get a big say in what kind of aged care system uh, the government's prepared to uh, create. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. I do have a breaking news story here. The body of missing businesswoman Melissa Caddick has been found on the New South Wales South Coast more than three months after she disappeared from her home in Sydney's eastern suburbs. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. Unscripted, genuine and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, nine and a half minutes after eight, 13, 12, 69. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com for all of your emails. We've got a response from the New South Wales government following my chat this morning with Jihad Dib. Uh, there are some concerns that the state government plans to privatise TAFE in New South Wales and sell off assets, but... Uh, The response from TAFE New South Wales and their spokeswoman this morning, and I'll go, uh, I'll read the whole thing out for you in the next 10, 15 minutes, but just in short, there are no plans to privatise TAFE New South Wales. In fact, in 2020-21, the New South Wales government is investing more than $200 million in capital works projects to deliver new teaching and learning spaces for communities right across New South Wales. All right, in relation to what's happening at Scone, I'll give you those details in just a few moments from the government. Eleven after eight, thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. The telephone number. As you know, here on the program, I, I love supporting Australians, whether they, you know, artistic Australians. Whether it's speaking to Amy Shark, who we had on the program not long ago, um, and also uh, I want to try and speak to more authors as we talk about, you know, a little bit of escapism. You know, it's great to grab a really good read, you know, a page turner, and just escape from <laughs> everything for a few hours every day. It's good for your mental health, really, really good for your mental health. Um, and I encourage anybody. Um, to to grab a book, especially younger people, grab a book, read it. It'll just take you away. And, you know, forget the Kindle. 
just grab a good old... There's nothing better, I think, than a fresh book. Just, you, you know, you can turn the pages yourself, all the rest of it. I'm one of those who loves books. I've got a stack of them at home. And one that I've started reading, I haven't... I've got to confess, I haven't read the whole thing yet. But that's okay, because I'll get there. It's a really good new book, uh, talking about the perfect house, the perfect family. But I think it's all good, too good to be true. It's by Kelly Hawkins. Now, Kelly is a report writer for a private investigator. She's worked on novels for adults and children. She is a local up there in the Hunter region of New South Wales. She has two teenagers. And over the years, Kel's travelled wherever possible and worked all kinds of jobs. She's been a political journo, a graphic designer, a mystery shopper, shopper and even a staple remover. And she's been a loving wife and mum. And a good friend of mine, I have to say. During our uni years in Bathurst at Charles Sturt, we were inseparable. Kelly's husband, Matt, myself, and I'm happy to say Kelly's on the program. Hey, Kel. Hi, Marcus. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Congratulations on the new book. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. It's pretty exciting. I opened up the the paper yesterday and there you were. I know. It was a bit of a shock. Hey, you're getting (laughs) some really good publicity and so you should because this book is amazing. Oh, it, thank you. It's really good. Now, just a bit of background, um, uh, and I don't—I I know you won't mind me mentioning it. It's no, no. public yesterday, of course, um, from the uh, the newspaper article. You and I go back years. We were in the same hut, G hut, um, there at Charles Sturt University in Bathurst. We had a wonderful few years together. I was best mates with your husband. Yep. How long has it been since we lost Matt? Uh, it'll be two years in June, so yeah, mm. um, coming yeah. around. Uh, it was very sudden, unfortunately, and it was very difficult. I know for yourself and and for the kids as well, and yeah. for, for loved ones. And we, I mean, Matt was just such a a wonderful, warm bloke. Uh, he'd do anything for any. I'm not telling you something you don't know, but I want to tell no, my audience no. yep. uh, how how badly missed he is. He was just, I mean, he taught me to drive this bloke. <laughs> you know, he taught. Yeah. <laughs> well, first year at uni, I hadn't had my license. I had a car, mind you, the little blue bongo van thing. But <laughs> Matt taught me how to drive, and we played tennis all the time. And you know, we yeah. got to be really close at uni. And then, you know, he met you. I think in the latter years of uni, and you yeah. two were inseparable ever since. And you have two beautiful children together. I know they live on with him. Okay. Yes, it was. Um, it was a great time back then. We certainly had a lot of fun, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Now you've put all of these life experiences, if you like, into your art. Uh, and you've written this book. Um, yes. Tell me about the book, Kelly. Um, so it's called Other People's Houses, um, and it's a, it's a thriller, and it's set in Sydney. Hmm. Um, and it focuses on a woman who is not coping still um, on the 10th anniversary of her son's death. Right. So she's still grieving. Um, she drinks too much. She's generally a mess, I suppose. Mm. She's, um, but what she does is she goes to open houses on the um, of the on Sydney's wealthy North Shore, right? And she imagines the lives of those families who live there. And every at every one, she takes home a memento from there, something small, just um, to remember that house by. But then when she visits the Harding House, yeah. um, that's a perfect house for her. It's where she could imagine that her family might have lived. Why is that? And what, what makes it? Uh, what makes Kate thinks that the Harding House on Sydney's North yep. Shore is the perfect house, Kel? Well, it's, it's beautiful, for one. Yeah. Uh, it's a classic, beautiful house. But I think it's just her ideal of 
where she would where she would live with her family okay. um, if she ever had the option. Um, and so she she goes inside and she sees in there a photo um, of a what she thinks again is a perfect family. So right. there's a man who looks kind and a beautiful woman who she actually knew from her university days, mm. and a boy. And the boy just for a moment she believes that boy is her son because they're very similar in um, in looks. Of course, right. he isn't. But uh, Kate becomes obsessed with the Hardings, Ooh. and she um, uncovers the lies and the secrets. Um, in their family and becomes probably a little bit too involved in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, a bit of stalking, that sort of thing's involved. Dear idea. Um, yeah, so when someone's murdered, um, then Kate really needs to find out, desperately needs to find out who it is before the police arrest her for it because she's being rather suspicious in this right. whole period. So it's a book about, um, well, it's a, it's a page turn, I guess. It's a book about grief, um, betrayal, guilt, secrets. And of course, it's about real estate, which um, in Sydney is such a such a huge topic. Well, it always. is. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, so it's it's yeah, it's it's a thriller. All right. Yeah. Well, we don't want to give it away um, no. because you know the last thing I want to do is <laughs> no. you know, spoil anything. Spoiler <laughs> no alert! <spoilers. laughs> yes, you know how you know how it ends. I don't yeah. know yet, but I'll keep reading, Kelly. The perfect, right, thank you. the perfect house, the perfect family, too good to be true. It's a dark, twisting tale of guilt and obsession that will leave you gasping. Wow, all right. Well, other people's houses, make sure you grab a copy of it. Um, It is available uh, in a couple of days' time. On Wednesday, it goes on sale. Uh, You can pre-order it if you like. Uh, Booktopia have it and plenty of others or, you know, just grab the copy. You know, go to Phoenix <laughs> or wherever you go and, and get a copy of it because it's a great read. And, and Kelly, you know, I support your work. Are you going to work on more uh, more of these wonderful novels? What's next yeah, for you? Yeah, I sure am. I'm working on a on another adult novel at the moment, and I've also got a kid's book coming out with HarperCollins in September, so that'll be exciting as well. A kid's book in September? Yeah. All right, what's the yep, kid's book yep. all about? Um, it's called the C- the School for Talking Pets, so it's quite different from this one. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's a book for sort of primary age kids about a boy who has a blue tongue lizard and he wins a week at a school for talking pets um, and all the things that go on then. So oh, it's a fun novel. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. How is it writing these days? I mean, obviously you balance it with, um, you know, with looking after the kids, motherhood, yeah. et cetera. You're a single mum these days, so you'd be yeah. very, very busy. How is it? How do you go about the writing process? What's what's it entail? Um, there's a lot of solitude, which I actually quite like. I've always been that sort of person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of just sitting down on the seat and writing, but also a lot of getting out and walking and thinking of ideas, um, you know, trying to really come up with something that's interesting. So, Mm. yeah, it takes a long time, but it's it's enjoyable. I really love it. Yeah, well, obviously, obviously, otherwise you wouldn't do it. I mean, it's a long way from writing uni essays, isn't it? I know. To, uh, you know, big books. (laughs) All right, well, congratulations, Kelly, on uh, what they call your breakout novel, and I'm I'm sure it is the start of a, a long and... Uh, distinguished career and you'll always have my support thanks marcus i appreciate that look after yourself dar you too thanks all right australian author kelly hawkins other people's houses available on wednesday make sure you grab yourself a copy marcus paul in the morning where it's 19 after eight now (laughs) what's your name marcus paul in the morning now on marcus paul in the morning the Queen Bee of the Newsroom, Diane Coveney-Garland. Oh, 
Paul K, 22 minutes away from the Lawsy Show at 9. Morning, Di. Good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. You had an eventful uh, trip into work this morning. You went past this accident at West Ride on Victoria mm. Road. Yeah, I did. So I could see all the lights from a little way up Victoria Road yeah. and uh, fire, police and everything. And I mm. saw, didn't have time to stop. That's the unfortunate thing because I had to get into the newsroom yeah, on time. However, um, there was a little little hatchback and it had all the doors open and everything oh, like that. Yeah. It's actually into the house, like it's hit the house, yeah. gone through a brick wall. Mm. And then just as I was driving along, I was probably about half a block from it. I saw a car, and it was a police car, over the median strip and back right. up Darvel Road. So I assumed that that would have been when they've realised that the um, uh, the alleged driver of said yeah. vehicle, well, they knew he'd taken off, obviously, but I think that's when they, they sort of gave chase and, and yeah. found him. Well, they've been yeah. negotiating with this driver by mobile phone. phone to return to the scene. Um, a, a short while later, this 20-year-old bloke, uh, was arrested uh, by an inspector, so that's good. He was taken to um, a ride hospital. Um, he's got an injured shoulder, apparently. But anyway, uh, courts will deal with that. But fortunately, uh, a couple living in the home were not injured. But imagine that, quarter to three in the morning oh, and crunch. That's a hell of a wake-up call, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm a bit cranky, uh, speaking of cars. Mm-hmm. Somebody over the weekend has come past my car and taken out the side mirror. Oh. No, no, nothing. And I got there yesterday morning just to see the thing dangling. That happened on oh. our street mm. uh, over the weekend on Friday afternoon. Really? Yeah, somebody's done the same thing. So my husband had walked, was inside, he was about to go outside. He heard a noise and he's gone out. And it wasn't our car, it was the neighbour's car. Right. But they've wiped out, like not only hit the mirror, but the mirror was actually on the ground, it, they've actually it's actually come off yeah. and was lying on the ground and all the broken glass from the mirror and they've just got Drip just kept off. going. Drip yeah. it off, yeah. That's so rude. Well, I think it is. I mean, if you do that, you really should <laughs> leave a note. But I suspect because uh, I'm on a fairly decently busy street, if you mm. know what I mean. So yeah. I suspect it's happened overnight. Yeah, and they've seen. Oh well, it's dark. No one's seen anything. Off they went. Mm. See, what they probably haven't realised is a lot of people have those security cameras that pick up things like that. Not me, unfortunately. All right, Diane, we'll hear you in the news after nine. Thank you. Okay, Diane Coveney-Garland, she'll be reading news for Lawsy again. He's back in around about 18 minutes' time. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. The latest from the capital with Christina Rosengren. All right, it's quarter to nine. Christina, good morning. Good morning, Marcus. Welcome to Monday, another very interesting week ahead in uh, federal politics. There are growing calls for an independent investigation into a historical rape allegation levelled at a current cabinet minister. Yes, so this was that major story which broke on Friday last week. There was a letter sent to the Prime Minister along with Labor Senate leader Penny Wong and Green Senator Sarah Hanson-Young, which contained a statement outlining the details of this alleged assault. This is alleged to have occurred in 1988 before this current minister entered federal politics and the woman was 16 at the time. She has since uh, unfortunately taken her own life. This matter has been referred to the Australian Federal Police along with the New South Wales and South Australian Police and Prime Minister Scott Morrison has so far declined to establish an independent inquiry regarding this allegation uh, because he believes it should be up to police. But legal experts have 
raised a few concerns that Cabinet could be facing some integrity issues if it doesn't investigate this itself also. Uh, now, this, of course, follows the uh, Brittany Higgins rape allegation against a Liberal staffer. She alleged that occurred at Parliament House in 2019, and the story really seems to have opened the floodgates for others to come forward and allege they've been the victim of sexual assault or harassment in yep. federal political offices and in the public service. And uh, we've also heard over the weekend there's been a Labour MP who's accused of raping a woman as well. So that's also been referred to the AFP. Uh, so this seems to be a very pervasive issue in politics. Absolutely. Um, and they, as you say, they're all coming out. And uh, as I mentioned earlier this morning on the program, I'm, uh, you know, I'm getting I'm getting a little sick and tired of hearing about these allegations from politicians. Uh, I would hope that, uh, you know, uh, police would be the first port of call for anybody that wants to level allegations about anybody, um, let alone a politician. All right, Christina, um, we'll leave that one there because there are, in how many now? That's four or five different investigations, for goodness sake. Yes, there's a lot of them. It's, it's uh, I mean, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, Higgins has really kicked off this whole um, yep. uh, flood of allegations and it's just, it's astounding what's coming forward. All right, the final report from the Aged Care Royal Commission, uh, it landed on the Prime Minister's desk on Friday. It is expected to be released publicly today. Yes, that's correct. So uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison uh, had said that he'd uh, spend the weekend looking over this report and considering it. Uh, so the expectation is that it'll be released today and it will outline, outline more than 100 recommendations to improve the aged care sector. Now, this Royal Commission was established in 2018 and since then we've heard evidence and testimonies describing just towering stories of abuse, neglect and a general failure of the system, including in regards to uh, staffing ratios and funding and the use of restraints. So you'd expect this report to contain some really important recommendations. There has been a bit of disagreement, though, reportedly between two of the commissioners charged with delivering these findings. So according to News Corp, the report contains uh, contrasting recommendations for what a new aged care model should look like. Uh, so that'll be interesting to dive yeah. a bit deeper into what this report has released. And the government will give an interim response to this this week, but it won't formally respond to the recommendations until the May federal budget. So we'll have to wait a few more months before the government takes action on this report. All right, and finally, Health Minister Greg Hunt has confirmed the first doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine will begin to be distributed next Monday. We know that a whole batch of them arrived uh, on an Etihad uh, flight, I think it was, or wherever it was, from yesterday over the weekend. Um, yep, so they'll now go to the Therapeutic Goods Administration to be batch tested. Yes, that's correct. So there were 300,000 doses arrived at uh, Sydney Airport yesterday. Uh, and Health Minister Greg Hunt says 200,000 of those uh, will be sent to states and territories to be used in this uh, vaccine rollout next Monday. In the meantime, there'll be 50,000 Pfizer doses distributed around Australia over the next few days, and that's for the second week of this national vaccine rollout. And as we know, the rollout began with the Pfizer vaccine, and it's going to frontline health and border workers because we are in phase one at the moment. But as far as the rollout's progressing, it's a bit behind schedule. So the government had wanted to inoculate 90,000 Australians with their first dose in February, but it missed that goal by 60,000. So the government's hoping this new vaccine delivery will help it reach that target after missing that deadline. In order for it to do that, though, we'd have to have a higher average rate of vaccinations than what most other countries are currently achieving. So yeah. possibly an average of 180,000 doses administered daily. And there's only a couple of countries that have been able to achieve that so far. 
But there are some health, health specialists who believe we can get to that goal, especially with these new doses from AstraZeneca, and they're still confident that we could meet the target of having most of the population vaccinated by October. Yep, all right, and I see that Greg uh, Hart has also read the Riot Act to anti-vaxxers and all of those conspiracy theorists and nutjobs over the weekend as well, and good on him. Good to chat, Christina. We'll hear your reports over the, the course of the day. Thank you. Thank you. Christina in the capital, Marcus Paul in the morning at 10 to 9 now. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Coming up to nine minutes away from 9, 13, 12, 69, my telephone number. Uh, still some time to take a couple of open line calls. Sandra, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, thank you, Sandra. Thanks for calling the program. What can we do for you, please? Um, I would just like to add my voice to the community in Janali um, who are being threatened with the acquisition of nine homes. Yes. Are you, uh, are you uh, another person that's at risk of losing their property, are Well, you? no, thank God I'm not. But I do live on one of the roads affected, which is Victoria Street. Um, I don't know what's wrong with our politicians, but talk comes easy. And um, we're not talking about houses. We're actually talking about people's homes and their well-being. Well, that's right. Absolutely. And, you know, an election promise needs to have some background research done into it before Gladys and Eleni just shoot their mouths off. So I'm Eleni, very disappointed. Yeah, um, Eleni, um, I'm just trying to think of her surname. She's your local member there, isn't she? Petronos. Petronos, that's right. We might, uh, we, we're going to put some calls in today. We're going to try and get... Uh, either Rob Stokes or Eleni on the program uh, to find out exactly where this is up to. Uh, because I'll just background my other listeners who might be joining us uh, later today uh, or uh, just recently on the program. On Thursday, February 11, a new commuter car park was announced in Janali. This revealed the New South Wales State Government's plan for the forced acquisition of nine family homes actionable immediately. The four-level car park was announced in a R2 zoned area with no communication with the community, including those that have been told they are losing their family homes. Basically, they've been given six months uh, to come to some sort of arrangement with the government. Otherwise, um, the whole thing's going to be bulldozed. But look, I've spoken to people, uh, and this morning, as you might have heard, Sandra, I spoke to one of the uh, folks who are at risk of losing their home, and, and we all agreed that nearby, just behind the Woolworths, there's plenty of local government land, council land, that could be used for this development rather than, you know, destroying people's homes. Exactly, exactly. And this is what I'm saying. Uh, politicians just shoot their mouth off, promise what they like, um, when it's really talking about people's lives and their homes. And I think it's, it's dreadful. I mean, if I see a politician asking me for a vote, I'm likely to slap them because it's just unacceptable. Yeah. Um, the stress it's put, we as a community are so um, 
uh, cohesive. Mm-hmm. We've got together. We talk about it. We support each other. Well, there's ten thousand people, Sandra. Ten thousand exactly. people in, in We've what? Petitioned. Yeah, exactly. in just over a week. That's amazing. Look, we'll continue to fight the fight for you, Sandra. I'll have to let you go now because I've got to go to the news very soon. But thank you for sure. your call, and we'll continue fighting the fight. We'll try and get uh, the minister on tomorrow. If we have no luck with the state government, then we'll certainly go to the opposition and try and light a fire. For you, okay? All right, thank you very much. You're welcome. Best Bye. of luck. Bye bye. Thirteen twelve sixty nine is our open line number. You can call that number after nine o'clock, or you can call Lawsy's Fortress number one three hundred five six four six five two. The great John Laws joins you right after this.